music. It's time to smoke two joints. It's time to meet the assholes at the Ida Show tonight. Fuck that! It's time to play with dildos. It's time to meet White Mike! Motherfucker, come on! Uh. It's time to get insulted at the Ida Show tonight. Hi, I'm Tom. That's right. We know that we're annoying. But we don't fucking care. We think we're pretty funny. And, and we shave our pubic hair. Hey, my balls match my head now. You guys fucking Skin on suck, skin. You pig fuckers. It's time to get things started. I'm Harvey, I'm retarded. That smells like Sandy Parted. I'm the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, masturbational. This is what we call the Itis Show. Welcome to Out of the Ether, Episode 10. I am Tim Brick, and I am still your host. I'm assuming that some people might have thought, oh, crap, I clicked on the wrong podcast when they heard that intro, because that's not normal. But my guest this week uh, is not normal. Uh, the band that he represents and has been with for 27 years is not what I would say normal, <laughs> or at least average by any means. Uh, some phenomenal musicians, and I mean phenomenal. If you ever get a chance to see Itis, you'll know exactly what I mean a few minutes into their set. But also one of the most enjoyable, fun group of guys I've ever been associated with uh, and some of the best uh, shows that I've ever witnessed. And we're going to talk a lot about performance uh, in this episode for sure. Uh, Itis was a band that would perform 150 plus nights a year, was on the road for I think 20 plus years, played all over the world. They have at least 12 CDs that have been released and we will find out from Mark if there's more. Um, DVD with over four hours of footage. And I'm so happy that they're getting ready to release another album. And we get to feature one of the tracks from that unreleased album on this show. So we will be back in a moment with Mark Allen Rodeo, lead singer from the band Itis. Well, Mark, welcome to Out of the Ether. Tim, it's great to be here, man. It's uh, really nice to see you. It's been a while. I know. It's been a long time. Actually, we were just talking about that right before uh, we got on the show here. It's been a year. It would have been at uh, Tim's, I think. Tim's funeral, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tim's it was Tim's, uh, Tim's memorial service that we, we came out to play. And um, for the audience that doesn't know, we're talking about a gentleman named Tim Livingston, who's a guitar player. And Tim and I were in a band, and um, mm -hmm. that band broke up, as all bands seem to do at some point or another. And a few years later, Tim came to me. Actually, this is a great kind of segue to get us going on our show today. Uh, I was in California on vacation, and Tim happened to be in Cal. I don't even know if you know this, Mark. Tim happened to be in California on vacation at the time. And we were texting and realized, oh, we're just a few miles away from each other. Let's get together. And, of course, you know, Tim doesn't travel without guitars. So he had a couple right. acoustic guitars. He's like, we're going to go to the beach, and we're going to play guitar, and we're going to write a new song. And we, I said, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's go do it. And we're down the beach, and we're just noodling around. And all of a sudden, Tim looks at me, and he says, you know Mark Rodeo? And I said, well, yeah, I know Mark. You know, I'm an Idis fan. Of course I know Mark. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, Mark, he, he wants to do a band. And I'm like, do a band? What do you mean? And he's like, no, like, we'll do a band. Mark will be our singer. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. Just let me know where. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, very kind of you, man. Thank you. So I know from research, actually, that I did on you, Mark, um, that you joined Idis in 1994. I'm curious, though, prior to that, what, were you in another band or were you doing music before Idis? Um, yeah, I 
basically been doing music mostly my whole life. Um, I grew up in a musical family. Um, my grandfather emigrated from Italy, and during the Depression in Chicago, um, on weekends he would play saxophone and clarinet in big band and jazz bands in Chicago. Oh, wow. And then my mother, at the age of five, and her brother at the age of six, would go with my grandma to the clubs and in between sets would sing and tap dance in between tables for extra money. And at the age of five, her and my uncle were actually on coast-to-coast radio. Um, and she had a record when she was 20. It was a 78 that played from the inside out. <laughs> uh, I still remember all those songs. So she said, yep, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So we're dating um, ourselves, Mark. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, well, I'm the youngest of six, Brick. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you're always the baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I started, um, I, I probably started singing the day I could talk. And um, uh, I, I, I took my grandpa's saxophone and I think when I was eight years old and learned saxophone, took lessons, went to school, took lessons there. Um, and then uh, started playing. I, I was... Actually, it was talent show of seventh grade. I, I remember this vividly. Um, my my brother Michael had a band, and his bass player agreed to play for the talent show for me. And um, we did the song Yesterday by the Beatles. Oh, wow. And um, just brought the house down. And then that night um, at the roller rink, because back then that was, <laughs> back then there was, was the roller place. rinks, yep. That's where you went during junior high. Yep. And, uh Every girl in the school wanted to skate with me, <laughs> including including the hottest girl in the place was Lisa Baralt, and she wanted to be my girlfriend. And I was just like, "Wow, this is because I didn't really, I didn't have any game. I still don't have any game. <laughs> it's always been my game." And I was like, "Okay, this is cool." So at that point, I was uh, thirteen. And then a couple of years later, um, you know, I'd played in a couple of little, you know, garage bands, backyard bands and stuff yeah. like that. And um, I got into a band. My brother had left that band that he was in. And I got into a band with him, my uh, first musical partner, um, and then another guy from the neighborhood on drums. And by the age of 15, I was playing clubs in the suburbs of Chicago. So I was like, wait, I get girls and they're going to pay me. <laughs> I think I think I know what I'm going to do with my life. And have an excuse to sleep in late. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It just it seemed like um, the greatest of all things. Um, so, yeah, I played in Chicago for quite a few years. Um, the band that I was in with my brother, we played five years total. And um, Now, your brother and, uh, is a guitar player? Is that... um, he was the bass player, and okay. then he'd switch to keyboards. I played rhythm guitar. And I'd switched to bass when he was on keyboards. Okay. And then Louis Caruso was the guitar player, the lead guitar player, and Bill Betancourt was our drummer. We had three drummers. I've over that five years, I've, I've consistently. That's had kind drummers. of a trend with you, by the way. We'll talk about that I've later. Had but drummer <laughs> issues my whole life. Um, and uh, then I, I in 1990, spring of 1990, I moved out to California. And, um, for music, was that the impetus to go to California? Yeah, yeah. I was, um, you know, my, I, basically I was, if I wanted to do something, it was going to have to be where the music was, I figured. Right. And um, I'd actually gone out there when I was 20 years old. I was on a, a lip sync show called Putting on the Hits. And um, they had an open contest in Chicago. And I um, 
I went to that um, that audition that night, and out of 350 contestants, I made it to the the 10 for the next day. And I went. It was at a mall, and I went and performed the next day, and I won. And um, my prize was uh, they flew you out to California, put you up. You got to be on the show and everything. And I really, really just loved what I saw out there. And so that was my my goal basically for the next uh, three, four years before I got out. Now so, you say it was a lip lip sync contest, so you weren't actually singing. You were lip syncing. No, okay. No, yeah, I was dressed as a baby. And I was, <laughs> no, no lie. Um, a girl at work had knitted me a bonnet, and I made a diaper out of a out of a um, uh, bed sheet, and I had little poofy blue um, socks on, and um, I lip synced to a chipmunk song. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. And Billy, or I mean, um, was it uh, Andy Gibb was one of the judges? Okay, and he just was beside himself with laughter. He actually asked me um, to he wanted me to meet to meet me after the show and so i went to the trailer his trailer and his mom was there and everything and just a really nice guy and it was just a few months later that um i found out that he was dead yeah he was a really really good guy so that kind of put the the bug big into me to get out there um a few years into that i was i went out there uh with 500 bucks in my pocket no job nothing and um, got a job at a club chain. I'd been DJing in Chicago for years and um, was DJing out there. And then in um, 93, I want to say. Okay. Um, I'd been working, the whole time I was out there, I was working on a, a solo project with a friend of mine, Mark Cross. And uh, I was going out there over the weekends and laying down tracks for like a five-song demo. And we completed that after about a year and a half. And I wanted to do, I had some other songs, and he had moved to Florida and was working at Full Sail, doing the same thing, engineering and teaching. Sure. And uh, I hadn't sang in years, like really sang. Mm -hmm. And I got out there, and about halfway through my vocal session, my voice was just failing. Yeah. You know, it was just starting to wear out quickly, and I just wasn't used to that. So when I got back home, I started checking the rags, and I found a band in Orange County. I was living in Orange County and I found a band that was looking for a singer and I went and auditioned and um, you know, it, we're, we ended up being called Headspace. Okay. And there was a band next door that rehearsed and they were called Tainted Souls. Well, that was the band that Craig and Mike had. Mike okay. had. So, um, one night we were out watching the fireworks and they pulled up and they'd been out on the road. And so we all helped them load their stuff back into their, you know, practice studio. And we had a running gig um, with KNAC radio station out in California in Long Beach. And um, it was every Wednesday. And I said, if you guys are in town, you want to play a gig, you know, we'll we'll support you. You guys can headline and stuff and, you know, come on out. And we just kind of built a friendship there. And they would rehearse and their singer would never come to rehearsals. Mm. So I'd be walking across their studio to go to the bathroom, and they'd be like, "Hey, Mark, do you know, um, you know, Thunder Kiss '65?" Well, sure. So I came in, and <laughs> I, you know, do that to get yeah. them through, you know, guiding it to to be able to do the song. And they they had me do um, "Killing in the Name of" by Rage Against the Machine one time, and uh, they they skipped over the entire uh, breakdown, and I was like, "You guys are missing a part." 
and Craig plays me the song, he recorded it off the radio. So I'm like, <laughs> no, you guys are missing the best part. So we started doing gigs when they were in town, and they'd bring me up, and I'd do a few songs with them, and, you know, that was, it was fun and good. And then um, in 94, in the beginning of August, I was heading to work, and a guy ran a red light and hit me on my motorcycle. Mm. And um, uh, he was doing about 55 and a 64 Ford Falcon. And I went. Not a his, small car. Yeah. No, <laughs> a steel tank. <laughs> yeah. And I went up his hood and his windshield, and the lady at the 7 Eleven said it looked like I got shot out of a circus cannon. Oof. So I was going end over end as high as the traffic light. I landed on my head, my spine compressed, and one of my vertebrae exploded. Ugh. So I was. Obviously, taken to the hospital. I was paralyzed for the waist down for three and a half days. And while I'm in the hospital, I'm checking my answering machine. That's another dating thing. So I'm checking my answering <laughs> and, machine. And returning calls on a rotary phone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, there was a voicemail from their manager. And he basically gave me a brief rundown that their singer had basically left them on the road. He didn't, he didn't give me the full breakdown of what had happened. But they had called him and said, what about, you know, Mark from the Headspace band? You know, he could probably finish up this, you know, I think it was four weeks. And um, so I called him back. I still couldn't even walk. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. So oh two weeks God, from now. Mark. Yeah. Out in Phoenix. Yeah. Fly me out. I'll be there. Um, so that Saturday, um, uh, I woke up with, uh, let's say, what young men wake up in the morning with for the first time in three and a half days was... <laughs> Said I'm <elated>. healed. <laughs> yes, I was elated. Because when nothing below your waist works, it's uh, some pretty oh, nasty yeah. head games. Yeah. So I flew out there, and it turned out that while they were on the road, he had met some girl in Michigan and was on the phone with her for, you know, two, three weeks and decided that he was going to leave the band to go out to Michigan, and he was going to marry this girl. And before he left, he got a tattoo with his name, her name, her daughter's name, and the son they would someday have together. And about two, three weeks after that, she realized he wasn't in a rock band and didn't need a babysitter. And that was He didn't so. think that through very well, no. No, no. <laughs> and so I would introduce this as three tainted and one rented soul. We were setting up in Colorado Springs, and... Back then, you know, the, the big racks of, of gear, when guitar players were making patches, they would name them. Yeah. So, you know, they, they knew what was on their MIDI pedal. And Craig's setting up his gear, and I see in his window a patch called Itis. And I'm like, what, what's that? Yeah. And I said, well, I made that patch because um, Stanley used to say, hey, I can't sing tonight. I've got bronchitis. Hey, I can't really sing tonight. I've got laryngitis. And <laughs> he would sit in the club smoking cigarettes and drinking and hitting on chicks until they would do an original song. Then he'd walk up to the stage and sing the one original song and then walk off the stage. And then get itis again and leave, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah so these guys are like a three-piece having to do this by themselves. So Craig, being the smart-ass that he is, <laughs> um, named that patch itis, and I was just like, oh, man, that's, that's just too good. So at that point, I started calling us, hi, we're three tainted, one rented soul, otherwise known as itis. Oh, perfect. And, um, yeah, and it stuck, so, obviously, for good reason. Yeah. 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 Well, it, we we did one more run. We we finished up that tour and then went back to California. And I kind of went back to my band, which wasn't really 
I don't know, after you play with Craig, it's really hard yeah. to, to dial it back. Uh, um, and real quick, Mark, because uh, yeah. there, there's probably, I'm sure there's going to be people listening who don't know Itis. I know that's hard to believe. So oh, can no, you just run down, because Craig and Mike obviously are, are integral to, to Itis. I know you had a number of different drummers. Can you just kind of let people know who we're referencing real quick? Yeah, it's uh, Craig Soderberg. He's the leader of the band, guitarist, um, then Mike, White Mike, White Mike Glazer, <laughs> <laughs> the Reverend White Mike. Uh, he's the bass player. And um, Tom Siegel, he's our drummer. And uh, I'm the singer. Now, yeah. is it true that when you first met Craig, he was really struggling to learn the guitar and you taught him everything he knows? <laughs> is that, did I hear that correctly from somebody? No, you did, you did not hear that correctly. No. And for anybody um, listening, uh, Craig is one of probably the best guitar players on the planet. And I don't think I'm overstating that. You know, I can no, hyperbolize sometimes, but in this case, yeah, it's true. No. And it's not just guitar. It's um, the, the man just computes music like I've never seen before. I mean, when we first were getting busy, um, we only had one record. So, you know, we're playing three, four, right. five sets a night. You play a lot of covers. And um, when we're driving in the van, he would just put on a, a, a tape or a CD that he made of songs that we were going to learn. And not a guitar in his hand, hadn't worked on the songs or anything. It's just telling Mikey what the chords are. <laughs> like, okay now this is this is drop d and this is this and this is this i'm like how do you do that he's like, just hear the ring in the strings yeah but that tra that transposes into his, he play everything i mean he plays guitar he plays bass he plays keyboards he's a phenomenal drummer um uh, he's a great singer he's an amazing songwriter i mean the, the nice thing about th this band was that we had three frontmen. yeah you know, it's, it's not one of the nice things about for me is i don't have to I don't have to fly the plane. The boys can fly the plane by themselves, which allows me to just dance on the wings, you know? Right. Um, and Mikey's just a, a solid rock, solid bass player. And the white Mike persona has just become an entity all on its own. And uh, Tom's a, got a great groove, rock, solid drummer, hits the hell out of the drums, which I really like. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it became a great thing. Um, and we... We, those guys were doing that stuff I was doing. Then I got a, a call from Craig. Um, it was probably November. And he's like, hey, they want us to come to Switzerland because they had gone this Tainted Souls for like two weeks in the fall. And he's like, do you want to go do Switzerland for a couple months? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't so ask me twice. We, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we had to go. We went on the Tainted Souls record. We hadn't done anything. We hadn't even been itis. And um, we had the drummer from Tainted Souls who had stayed in Colorado Springs and then informed Craig, like, man, I think it was just a week maybe before we were supposed to leave that he wasn't going to go. So we had to find a drummer, like, out of nowhere. I think it was Music Connection. Craig found him, had one rehearsal and took off for Switzerland. And um, the very first gig we had was on the German side of Switzerland. And that next morning, we got up and rehearsed a bunch more. We were learning <laughs> songs on the fly that whole tour. And uh, then after that, we, we came back, and um, I wasn't really interested in doing um, stuff with Headspace anymore, and I had an every other Thursday gig in Redondo Beach. So we, I kind of kept the band alive going that way, and Craig would uh, bounce out for Shockhead gigs, and Mikey got into a band called Spirit Tree, and George was playing 
with a guy who was supposed to be the illegitimate son of um, Jim Morrison. So, <laughs> was that ever well, confirmed? <laughs> no, no. All I know is the guy walked around with a lot of acid um, okay. all, all the time. So I would find subs from the, the group of band guys and, um, you know, we, to keep the gig going. So I'm the only guy that's been at every Ida show. Um, that was that was my claim to fame on that. And uh, it just, we made the first record and uh it's that was you know tastes like chicken and it was pretty out there it sounds like we all listen to scatterbrain for like way too much because <laughs> <laughs> there's no concise no con continuity to that record at all it's all over the place but it's some good fun songs on there we went back to switzerland after making that record and that was the great thing about going over there is with the exchange, we pay for everything in one tour. You know, the whole record was paid off. All that was done. Nice. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, we came back and started writing again and started writing the second record. And I think Craig and Mikey and I talked and we were like, you know, well, what are we doing with this? And I think it was me that said, well, let's make 10 records and talk about it later. Yeah. And that's <laughs> kind of how we, we went about it. Um, now, were you so, a songwriter before Idis? Well, I'd written that solo project I okay. told you about before. Um, it was kind of a blues-based, because um, I'm from Chicago, love the blues. Right. So it was, it was a blues-based product, um, horn sections, all that stuff. Um, but nothing, I mean, when you when you play with Craig, you got to up your game. You just do. Sure. You know, yeah. he, he, he makes you accelerate. That, so that's that the beauty can. of having bandmates like that, because they do make mm -hmm. you better. They make everyone around them better. You know, I love yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thoroughly agree. I mean, when you when you work with guys like that, it's, you know, it, yeah, I used to smoke cigarettes. And after a few years in the band, it was like, yeah, I, I can't keep doing this if I want to be singing all these yeah. nights and doing what I'm doing. And it's just, I don't know. I, I think I gained probably almost the full another full octave by you know after a few years of, of being in this band and playing all the time because we played a lot man we played 200 plus shows a year um, well and how do you how do you not because you were talking earlier and i meant to ask you then um that you had an issue at one time with, with your voice right how, mm -hmm. how did you yeah. do year after year of ida's touring schedule and, and be able to keep your voice well, the reason my voice was wearing out during that session that I was telling you about is because I wasn't using it. Okay. You know, I, I just wasn't singing on a regular basis. I didn't have a band at the time. That's what was the impetus for me finding a band. Okay. So it's like, I, it's a, if you don't use it, you lose it type of a, of a thing like any other muscle. You know, I mean, like right now, there's probably a good portion of my top end that's just not there. If If I went out and sang, you know, four to six nights a week for the next couple of months it all be right there again but you know i don't i don't sing enough to to keep it at peak performance okay in fact when we do because we do ida shows about oh once or twice a year and um i've got a a karaoke channel on direct tv <laughs> and i'll and i when i was living in phoenix i would just when i knew a show was coming up i'd download like 10 12 songs and i just scream myself silly in front of the tv till yeah. you know my voice was hoarse and i do that several times over the next couple of weeks and i'd be ready to rock were there other um, things that you would do um in the course of a year like 200 shows i mean that's 
that's pretty punishing, I would think, on a voice. It yeah. was. The worst was, uh, well, no, I mean, the voice was fine. It, it was all a matter of just, you know, taking steps to take care of it, you know, and yeah. just taking, I, I just, um, I transferred everything in my life around to focusing on being able to sing every single night, you know, no matter what. Okay. And the, I think the worst year was 99. We made a record. We had one week off, and that was over Christmas. And I just remember laying in bed. We, we were staying with um, a friend of ours here in Colorado Springs. Um, he was our, our light and sound guy at the club we played. And we'd been living in California. And not you, you never get home. California's yeah. not on the way to anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was like, we wanted to do this full time. And um, in 98, he offered to have his basement. He was like, take my basement, do what you need with it. 50 bucks a guy for, you know, rent and utilities. And it really allowed us to um to get the band going the way it was um that's Dogman. Dogman is uh quote unquote the fifth beetle as far as this <laughs> band goes because without him i don't think we would ever gotten off the road right gotten on the road like we wanted to but i just remember being in my room in the basement and everything on my body hurt and i just went to craig and said you know can we start routing through here and maybe doing a week in Colorado Springs, then a week in Denver, and then we picked up a week in Pueblo, so we could actually, you know, be at home a little bit longer. Right. But um, yeah, I, I man, I, you know, I don't know. It's just been one of those things for me. I've been really lucky that um, my voice stays with me, and um, even when I've been deathly sick, uh, there's some stuff I couldn't do, but I still, I've never. I never canceled, you know, I always sang. I'd have to have Craig and Mikey do more songs and stuff like that, but we just, we pushed through. Do and, you th do you think, because um, I know you and I are the same age, and, and mm -hmm. since we've already referenced it, we're over 50. <laughs> 50 by <laughs> hour. But, um, but you are one of the most ripped, fit people. You look like, um, I can't remember the actor's name now, who plays Wolverine, but I mean, because he's our mm -hmm. age as well. But I mean, you're you're an amazing physical specimen. Do you think that that, also helped you, and not necessarily even singing, but just survive the road to be in that kind of shape all the time? Because I've heard, was, uh, oh, go ahead, go I'm sorry. Ahead, I'm sorry. No, well, I was just going to say, because I, I, I've read or heard uh, Mick Jagger talking about as he got, especially as he got older, he had to spend you know less time partying and more time working out and running and mm -hmm. doing all those things. Or he said, I, I never could have gone out and done a tour anymore. You know, he said, when no, I was no. 20s and 30s, you can pull that crap. But he said, as I got older, I could not do that. Well, that, that, um year that i'm telling you about night right now 99 um everything hurt badly and especially my lower back where i only have a third of my sure my l4 vertebrae left so it started with you know doing some ab work because that's the only thing that's going to support my lower back is abdomen work and i started with that and then i started doing some upper body stuff as well um i started getting more dumbbells and bringing them with to the point at one point Craig was like I spent money to make this trailer lighter you know <laughs> to help us and you have I counted them Mark you have 350 pounds worth of dumbbells sitting in the trailer right now so then I started um having gym memberships all over the place um and plus i had we, with a friend the way we did the road we didn't really stay in hotels very often we stayed with people right you know we stayed at people's houses they put us up um we became uncleitis to their kids and um 
you know, so I would have a membership in this town or I would get guest memberships from them and started doing it that way. And then um, my friend in Phoenix, um, Mark Salvato, he was a personal trainer and a nutritionist. And he took me under his wing and showed me everything. There were people that hadn't seen us in a couple of years and they came to see us and they're just like, what did you do? <laughs> I had to get healthy, you know, and then it became yeah. like anything else. I kind of, it became a thing to throw myself into. Right. And it was a, another thing that just kept, kept stuff going forward. Um, well, you look was, good. We're, we're on video right now. I can see the top party. <laughs> it looks really good. He looks like Mark. <laughs> I'm about, I'm about 10 pounds or more lighter than you, you know me as, but that's just life, man. And I, and I'm the other direction. So between the two of us, we're like, <laughs> if we're considered one unit, we'd be right back to normal. We're but. the same two guys we were <laughs> <Yeah>. before. <laughs> yes, we are. We just got to be on the scale together at the same time. As I kind of referenced in, in the intro to this podcast, you, I just, it, I don't, unique, uh, I would say not normal, but I mean, what is normal? We can have that whole discussion all day long. But by saying that, what I mean is you guys are out of the norm. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of bands over the years. I've never seen anybody like Ida. So that's what I meant by not normal, not that anything mm -hmm. you do is like abnormal. But um, there's nobody does a show like you guys ever that I've met. And there's probably other bands somewhere. I've just never seen them. Um, but was that a conscious decision from day one or is that something that evolved? Um, and as we get into some of, some of your songs and, and get talking about too, I think it'll become even like cheek to cheek. I mean, you guys have some songs that most bands that say, hey, we're going to go out and be a rock band and we're going to play all these clubs. That's not the kind of song they go right. I mean, you know that, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it definitely evolved and a, and a lot of it evolved from just all so many nights. I mean, we, we played clubs. We'd go into a town and we played clubs where we played five to six nights at that club, you know? Um, the club in Colorado Springs that we used to play, that was a six-nighter. And, um, you know, when you're up there on a Tuesday night, you got to keep your head in the game. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I'd go into, we had a little box with some props, and I'd come out of the side room with just a hospital gown and fuzzy duck slippers on. <laughs> and it was just, and it was, there was no alcohol or anything involved in that decision. It was just, I've got to be a, you know, I've got to take it to an absurd level to keep my head in it. And yeah. it just became a thing. Like Mikey would play in a one piece, um, long John outfit they're tie dyed, you know, <laughs> with, with a trap door in the back and, <laughs> you know, Craig would play in his underwear at times. And it just, um, and we all have really hardcore sen senses of humor, you know? So for us, it was, yeah, we like to do regular songs. We like to make, you know, pop music and make rock songs. Um, but at the same time, we don't we don't take things that seriously all the time, especially ourselves. We think, I mean, especially like what you're talking about with the show. Um, if you really break down all the jokes and the gags and the mm -hmm. things that we do on stage, we're really pointing at ourselves. I mean, it, it was definitely that that kind of feeling too, because we're going into towns that we don't know anybody. A lot of times, it's like, well, let's let's get on stage and take all the ammo away from these guys yeah you know let's let's already denigrate ourselves the way that we pretty are pretty much sure that they're going to try and then it's like yeah i already did it now what are you going to do yeah you know what now what what do you got is that all you got <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we just took all your ammo away from you with the self-deprecating exactly. humor yeah well and one one of the things i that struck me by the way tim livingston is a, is a, a big part of our lives because Mm -hmm. Where I first got introduced to Idis is backing up even obviously before the, the moment on the beach. 
Um, that's when Crooked Grin was alive and well and, and we're working. And I was over at Tim's one night um, writing, writing music or playing something. And all of a sudden he looks at me and he's like, what's the date today? And I'm, you know, grab my, but that now, you know, fast forward from the rotary phone days we were talking about earlier and I now have a smartphone. <laughs> anyway, I pull it out. I'm like, whatever the date was. And he goes, I just is in town. Uh, and I hate to admit this because I was a grown man at that point that lived in Phoenix for like 20 some years. And I'm like, what's in town? <laughs> and he said, Itis, you don't know Itis? And I said, no, I don't think I know Itis. And he's like, we're going right now. I'm like, but dude, we got to finish this up. You know, we got a show in a couple of days and we're planning on playing. He's like, no, we'll worry about it later. We got to go see Itis. And off we went to Joe's Grotto. And I can say from, as a musician, Itis is striking immediately. We come in and see you guys play because the musicianship is leagues beyond what you're normally going to find in any bar. But then the other thing was, we're talking about your show it, I guess to me, I always felt like you guys resonate on a lot of levels with a lot of people. Because as a musician, I can sit there and I can just watch Craig or I can watch Mike mm -hmm. as a I'm a bass oh, yeah. player. I love watching Mike play and yeah. the things that he does and the little pops sometimes he puts in. He just do little things, little nuanced things and songs. I'm yeah. like, that's really cool. In fact, I stole a lot from him. You can tell him that next time you talk to him. Um, but so on one level, I could just sit there and watch you guys play and, and appreciate everything going on and you singing as well. Um, drummers, who knows? It's a different guy every time I saw you, but, <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> but they're all good. <laughs> they used to call him dead man drumming. <laughs> they, even hung, they even hung a noose from above the drum stool at one point. Cause they're just like, we don't even want to know your name. You're not going to be here next time. But that, that's one of the things I think about Itis that's, that's so well unique, but you guys, uh, I'm digressing a little bit, but I remember my dad and I were talking one time when I was in college and, and I was taking an English class and I was reading Old Man the Sea and he's like, well, you know, son, you know, Hemingway, his brilliance is that he could write a story that spoke to a lot of people on a lot of levels. Didn't matter what their education was. Somebody could really read a lot into it and get a lot out of this level, very esoteric. And then somebody could read it as just a very nice story about an old guy out fishing for this big fish, you know? <laughs> um, and to me, Itis is kind of like the Hemingway of bands from the standpoint of you guys get up there on stage and you own the stage and you own the audience. But, you know, a really, really good musician can sit there and just be enthralled all night watching you guys play. Right. Well, and, yes. and then somebody who's just wants to go in and get kind of shit faced for the night. And by the way, we can swear because I already blew it. I had to click the explicit button with the intro to this podcast. So we're okay if that <laughs> slips. But, you know, somebody just wants to go and get loaded all night with their buddies is, is still going to, you're going to grab their attention. They might be thinking, I'm just going to this bar to get drunk. I don't care who the band is, but I guarantee you within a short period of time, they're turning around and they're mesmerized with what's going on on stage. I mean, you're just appealing to everybody in every place where they're at, or at least that's my feeling on Itis. And well, I guess I was they, wondering they, if that was intentional or. No, it just happened. And, and the musicianship and the, the tightness came over so many hours of playing yeah. so much, but, um, you know, there was a bunch of people that didn't like what we did. There wasn't a lot of middle ground with us. There never has been. It's either you like us or you don't. Um, you know, some people are going to love it and buy records. Some people are going to heckle, which they find is not a really good thing to do because <laughs> all of a sudden you got three guys wolfganging on you. And, and you and guys have mics. They don't. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was just to say that to people. I'm like, I'm just a dumb guy who doesn't know that the guy with the microphone can talk over me and I can't be heard. <laughs> but back to Tim Livingston, he's another huge part of our career. Tim kept us going um for years with gear and we'd be out in the middle of nowhere something important would break and craig would call tim and tim would call the nearest guitar center and transfer have them transfer warranty to to mm. his 
place and just so he could keep us moving. I mean, he was an integral part of, of what, how we became who we were. And rest in peace, man. That guy was a, a humongous influence on the Phoenix music scene as well. So I, that was a tragic loss, hands down. Oh, yeah. Um, shocking loss, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, you know, you, musicians can definitely, I mean, <laughs> there's, there was a time early on, and um, I came off stage, uh, I think it was during a guitar solo, or it might have been a song Craig was doing, and some guy came up to me, and he's like, yeah, you know what? You're bringing down the musical integrity of this band. You've got a world-class guitar player up there, and you're walking around on the stage with a dildo and, you know, jerking off and stuff. I said, yeah, we do have a world-class guitar player. You're darn right. And you know what? The guy who wrote that song with the dildos, that's that guy right there. <laughs> I didn't write a single word of that song. And that's what people didn't really understand is because they thought, since I'm the front guy and I'm, you know, selling all these. Right. And some of our most extreme songs were all Craig. And it's just, that's out of Craig's brain. He's got everything encompassed in there. So, well, um, and that, and that, uh, a perfect segue for me. Cause I was, I did want to ask you as far as, um, lyrics go. I mean, I know you've written a lot of lyrics, if not most of them for Itis, but it so it sounds like, was it you and Craig then primarily for, for yeah. lyrics? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mikey contributed some here and there. Um, but, uh, like this, the way the songs usually were done, Craig would write, you know, the tracks for the music and, and he did all of it. And, um, then he'd send it here, he'd give it to me and I'd start working on, but he'd also give me songs that he wrote the whole song from and, but he wanted me to sing it. And then he would, you know, he sang at least one song every record on his own too, that he wrote. And then sometimes he'd hand me a chorus and then I would have to like, go okay like off of uh off of disconnected um coming around he had the chorus coming around once again it is i had to figure out what was coming around yeah you know? yeah so so for me then you know I, and we did lots of songs like that as well so primarily obviously craig did all the heavy lifting when it comes to everything when it comes to music. he produced everything um i mean i'd get done tracking we built a he built a studio in our basement he ended up buying a house for us to live in in 2001 um his dad had passed and left him some money and stuff and he wanted to invest it and so we bought a he bought a house for us and we built out the basement and built a studio in it with a drum kit and everything in it and a window the whole deal into his bedroom which was the control room man i'd come down from my room at like i probably finished my tracks at one or two in the morning i come down at five thirty-six, and he's just going like track by track trying to find you know two words like that he wants a book a better take on two words yeah. you know, <laughs> the amount of time and effort he just yeah. put into everything producing those records doing all the artwork booking the band financing the band i mean hey you know he's he's by by far and large the the main reason that itis is itis there's there's no way any of us would have been able to do what he did or well, does talking about lyrics i i have a, a question for you and this <laughs> is something i'm and, and i realized or at least i th i don't think i've ever asked this before but it's kind of funny because this question popped in my head i'm like you know this is something i should ask mark a long time ago because i've wondered this every time i've ever seen itis play so medicate you have a very mm. interesting outro to that song by the way i love that song but the yeah. outro how many mm. takes did it take you to do that <laughs> 
Um, well, what we did is I'd written it all out, and um, I just went as long as I could go with one breath. Okay. And then he'd, and then he'd back up to a line before that, and I'd jump in and go as long as I could go <laughs> on one breath. And we just did that continuously until we got the whole take, and he you know, chopped it all together. So live, I think you, you used a recording on that. Or did, yeah, you, ever, did you ever do it live? Could you no. do it? Could you actually do that in one breath? I don't think I, think I could. Yeah. I don't think I could. Um, not th- and not have the inflections that I have right. in it, you know, where it's like that announcer voice, like side effects of glue. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. that, that takes a certain, as you know, like a radio type thing that you have to put on it. And so many radio guys over the years that we've done shows and stuff with they're just like i love the outro that pete pete um cummings who you had on your podcast yeah. uh which was a great interview thank you um that was one of the first things that that he t- came up to talk to me i love i love the end of that <laughs> it's like thanks man well it's so yeah. unique and just so that everyone knows what we're talking about let's just play the outro right now from medicaid <laughs> side effects may include dry mouth dizziness bleeding from the eyes hair loss blurred vision diarrhea constipation sexual dysfunction in both men and women sleeplessness hives and other skin irritations loss of hearing indigestion heartburn difficulty with breathing skin cancer conjoined twin mycelexia loss of appetite incest ingrown toenails arthritis incontinence leprosy spinal meningitis chronic halitosis venereal warts scratchy throat itchy eyes hemorrhoids loss of consciousness throat polyps homosexuality irrational behavior runny nose and complete psychological breakdown same as in sugar pill and effects may vary from patient to patient consult your physician to see if this is right for you Okay, so now you all know what we're talking about, and it would be incredibly impressive if you could do that live with one breath. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And keep the inflections. Yeah, exactly. And that concludes part one of my conversation with Mark Rodeo of Itis. Join us next week for part two. Uh, More amazing stories from being on the road for 20-plus years. Uh, In addition to the world premiere of a demo. I do have to stress it's a demo recording, so it very well may change by the time the album comes out. But uh, one of the demo recordings of a song off the upcoming 10th studio album from Itis. But uh, before we sign off for this week, as is the way of Out of the Ether, I want to leave you not with a world premiere, but with one of my all-time favorite Itis songs. I figured you heard the outro. Now I want you to just hear the rest of the song. I'm going to leave you with Medicaid. Midas. Drug addicts in the house. Those of you on Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft. Oh my. Say Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft. Oh my. Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft. Oh my. The most dangerous drugs in the land, brother. We call this one Medicaid. Look at me, I'm happy, as can be, Medicaid is the way, it's the way I make it through another day. My confusion, but it takes away the best of me. And in my next delusion, I'm not even really happy. Man, I
like me So happy That a cage Is the way It's the way I met the sad face gone today Confusion, but it takes away the best of me And in my next illusion I'm not even really happy Same as in sugar pill, and effects may vary from patient to patient. Consult your physician to see if this is right for you. Yeah. 